0: may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight for you are Lord our rock and our redeemer and Lord today we pray that your kingdom come amen I was thinking of one of my favorite uh, preachers T.D. Jakes he has a little bit less hair than I do it's really completely gone and he generally carries around a towel to wipe his head off. That's where I went when you saw me disappear. <laughs> it was running down my back. don't have enough hair to catch it all anymore. And somebody always has a nice big pitcher of water sitting up on the pulpit, the pulpit, as he says, and so you can stay hydrated. So that's what I'm also doing during this service. <clears throat> For a number of years, I used to uh, get together with uh, three guys on a very weekly basis, And we would talk a lot about different things, mostly youth ministry and some of the other things going on in the church. But at the end, we would always share prayer requests, and then we would pray. Uh, What I always remember was one morning, everything proceeded somewhat normally until one of my friends, his name was Scott, I, I distinctly remember his prayer. He said, Lord, teach us to pray big prayers. So much of what we've been praying about this morning is just details. And that kind of struck me. It struck me. Teach us to pray big prayers. Now, I want you to know that it's perfectly appropriate to bring the details to God. It's perfectly okay to bring what would seem like the tiniest of details to Him. But I want to suggest to you that if all you do is pray little prayers... You've missed the world because, here's one of my very first points, sometimes our prayers suffer because our vision is way too small. Our vision is way too small. Now, when we pray, your kingdom come, that's a big prayer. That is serious business. That is not just details. On one level, you're asking God to send Jesus into your life to change you forever. On the other hand, you're also inviting God to invade this world and completely transform it as well. I want to spend a few minutes this morning thinking about what it means to pray, Thy kingdom come. And the first two little simple observations I'll make about this is, is first of all, this is the shortest petition in the entire Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come. In the English, what is that? Thy kingdom come. Three words. Three words. Interestingly, in the original Greek, it's four words. The other thing is, this verse, or that little phrase, is an imperative. In other words, it's really a command. That's why in the Greek, the very first word is a verb. It's put there for emphasis. Literally, you could pray, Come, Lord Jesus. Come, God, bring your kingdom. Now, to pray that way, Maybe you've never thought about it as you prayed through the Lord's Prayer. We prayed it this morning. You just probably went like him will not we Went right over that one. It means that you're not really satisfied with the status quo. You're praying that because you know things could and should be way better than they really are. But let me ask you this question: What is this kingdom of God for which we are to pray? I mean, it's clearly a crucial topic for Jesus in the Bible. The New Testament talks about the kingdom of God, when the kingdom comes, thy kingdom come, over and over again, but what does it mean? Well, to be real honest with you, if you asked 10 different theologians what it meant, you would get 10 different answers. For one thing, that term, the kingdom of God, or God's kingdom, is never, ever defined in the Bible. I'm gonna give you a very simple definition and when I think about the kingdom of God, what I think about is a society upon earth in which God's will is perfectly done as it is in heaven. Now, if I want to make it a little bit more personal, what is God's society uh, on earth? Well, it's like this church. We could say, thy kingdom come or thy will be done. It's like in this place, this place called First Lutheran Church, we're praying that the kingdom of God be here in such a way that we do perfectly what God intends for us to do, not only here, but in heaven. But again, you go back to the question, why does Jesus keep talking about the kingdom of heaven? In fact, he's got a whole bunch of parables that, always, that start out, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, what on earth is he talking about, and why is it so important that we know what those three little words mean? I'm going to give you four answers, at least suggest four answers to you this morning. Here's the very first one. The kingdom of God is really important because it was the central issue of Jesus' ministry. I want you to consider a few Bible passages. This is from Matthew chapter 4. Jesus began to preach, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then it said Jesus went through Galilee preaching the good news of the kingdom. In Luke 4, he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God, for that is why I was sent. In Luke 17, the kingdom of God is in your midst. John 18, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is from another place. You are right in saying that I am a king. See, when Jesus began his ministry, like at about age 30, his announcement was the kingdom of God is at hand. It's In your midst, but then when he was about to die, you may remember he stood in front of Pontius Pilate, and he says, "My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is from some other place." But Jesus also said something also interesting to Pilate. He said, "Everyone on the side of truth listens to me." See, that's the moral commitment that Jesus makes of everybody who wants to be in His kingdom. I mean, very literally, I mean, if I ask you this morning, how many people want to be in God's kingdom, and you raise your hand, what Jesus would say would be this, fine, friends, but you can't remain neutral about me or about the things I'm saying. You've got to get off the fence and you've got to make a commitment. You can't be in the kingdom this morning, but not this afternoon. It's kingdom or nothing. See, that's why... A lot of people in this world do not even begin to understand what I would call kingdom people. There are a lot of people in this world who just plain simple don't get Christians. I mean, I've been at this for a long time. And I can't begin to tell you how often somebody has said to me, Man, you're really weird. Man, are you nuts or what? Or where does this nonsense come from? I mean, how come you're just different? Now, why is that? It's because if you're a kingdom person, you probably are a little bit weird. You are, as DC Talk used to say, a Jesus freak. And guess what? I don't mind being called a Jesus freak. See, we start from a different place in life. We look at life a different way. We make decisions on a different basis, and therefore we end up in a different place than the rest of this world sometime. Now, we aren't necessarily crazy But I'll tell you that kingdom people, honest-to-goodness kingdom people are fundamentally different from the rest of the people in this world. Now understand that the kingdom of God needs to come into human hearts before it will ever affect the society at large. There's always a big debate. Should the church be more interested in sharing the good news of Jesus evangelism or should it be out there doing all this social justice ministry? i would be real honest with you, there are a lot of churches today that are really out there in the world doing all this social ministry, and they have left behind the kingdom of God. They've left behind the heart of what they're doing. Now, on the other hand, you you could be so guilty as to be nothing but about the gospel and never help anybody at all. I'm not sure that's the real gospel either. But somewhere we need to understand that um, both are needed, but evangelism, Evangelism, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ always takes priority because it is only through the gospel of Jesus Christ that human hearts can ultimately be changed by whatever social ministry you may be involved in. Here's, here's the second reason why this is important. The kingdom is the only thing that will last forever. How many of you know who Zachary Taylor is? None of you? You think he used to be on Tool Time? He played one of the boys, Tim Taylor's sons? No. (laughs) Who is Zachary Taylor? Raise your hand. He was a long time ago. Okay. Anybody who actually knows who he was a long time ago? Anybody? He was president of the United States. Now, until a few years ago, I didn't really think too much about Zachary Taylor. But, you know, about 20 years ago, scientists decided to dig up his remains to find out whether he had been assassinated, whether somebody had poisoned him to death. Now they found out he wasn't, he actually uh, died after eating chilled cherries and cold buttermilk, which sounds like a pretty nasty combination anyway. But you know, when they dug up his casket, do you know what they found? It had been 140 years since he died. All they found was hair, bones, and fingernails. Everything else had disintegrated. One newspaper said, "We now know more about Zachary Taylor than we ever knew before, and more than we ever wanted to know." Now, he is one of the most obscure presidents, and part of the reason he's remained so obscure is because he was followed by a guy who actually is the answer to a trivial pursuit question, anybody know who followed Zachary Taylor? Millard Fillmore. Another anybody ever hear of that name before? Millard Fillmore. Now, when he died, I'm getting to the point here, when Zachary Taylor died, he was known to be a really great man. He was an outstanding military genius. Uh, He later becomes president. His nickname was Old Rough and Ready. But until we dug him up about 20 years ago, we had pretty much forgotten all about him. That reminds me of Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 5. It says, for the living know that they will die. But the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even the memory of them is forgotten. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? Even the memory of those who die will eventually be forgotten. But it's true. I mean, Zachary Taylor has been forgotten to all of you, except for one person who remembered he was long ago. (laughs) Okay. After 140, 150 years old, rough and ready, is nothing more than an tri- answer to a trivia question, what president died from eating chilled cherries and cold buttermilk? Now, here's the lesson. The lesson is this, sooner or later, all of us, if God, if Jesus doesn't come first, are just going to be another name on a tombstone in some cemetery. If you're looking for permanence, or if you're looking for significance in this world, you're probably wasting your time. This world forgets the past, it lives in the present, and it only dreams about the future. And if you don't believe that to be true, just ask Zachary Taylor. But that's why, in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 12, verse 28, it says that God is going to give us a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Now, we all know that buildings crumble, we know that companies go bankrupt. We know that degrees, whatever degrees you may learn, will fade into illegibility, houses begin to age and creak, every car you have, if you have it long enough, is going to rust, and worst of all, you know this to be true, Jack, like me, you get a little bit older, and things just don't work as well as they used to. They kind of start breaking down, huh, Ted, a little bit at a time. But the kingdom of God lasts forever. Let me take you back to Christmas. It'll be a cool thought for a moment. Let's remember Christmas. The angel Gabriel comes to Mary, predicts that she's gonna have a baby, a son, and he says, who will rule over the house of his father, Jacob, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. Therefore, The entire human history can be divided into two groups. Those who live by earthly values, those who live by what we would call heavenly or kingdom values. If you decide to live by earthly values, guess what? You will get an earthly reward. If you live by kingdom values, you get a kingdom reward. It's your choice. What do you want? Earthly reward, heavenly reward. It's going to last forever. Earthly, gone. Heavenly, forever. Third, the kingdom of God gives a purpose, a meaning, and a goal to history. What's the purpose of history? Oh man, philosophers have studied that for a long time. What does history mean? Should we accept the Hindu view? You know what the Hindu view of history is? The Hindu view is that life is nothing but a continuous, endless cycle of reincarnation. Or should we adopt an evolutionary view that we came from slime over millions and billions of years and we may go back to slime someday? Or should we conclude with a lot of cynics in this world who say that life is just an eternal cul-de-sac. It doesn't lead anywhere. Now, I don't know that any question is much more important as to what history is all about because the way you view history is going to shape the way that you view your own life. See, If history has no goal, then life actually has no meaning. And everyone is, is, everything's up for grabs. And I can't imagine a more hopeless view of life than this is all there is, so we only go around once in life, grab all the gusto you can. But the Bible says history is literally his story. It's the record of God's dealing with the entire human race. The universe had a definite beginning, and it has a definite plan. Man did not come from the slime. God created man and woman in his own image. And created man had a purpose and a meaning, and that's part of God's ever-unfolding story of his story about this earth. Go into your Bible, Old Testament prophets talked about this coming kingdom all the time. They said there's going to come a day when the lion will lay down with the lamb. It says there's going to come a day when the Lord is going to return in all of his glory. Then in the New Testament, you find out a couple of extra details. That promised Messiah that they talked about in the Old Testament, guess what? It's Jesus. And the other thing the New Testament says, the kingdom of God is not going to Ultimately, be done until this Jesus who was here comes back. When we pray, Thy kingdom come, guess what, friends? We're praying that God would crack the skies, blow the horns, send the angels, come and judge the living and the dead, and take His children back to heaven. That's where history is going. Your kingdom come links us with the faithful who survived the wreckage of a fallen world and concluded that there's got to be something better out there. Now, we all kind of look through this haze of history, you know, to a time where Jesus himself will come again. That's why the angels declared to the apostles, this same Jesus who ascended into heaven would one day return to the earth. That's kind of a dangerous activity to do in a, in a sermon, but I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version of what history is all about. Here's what history is all about. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He then placed Adam and Eve into that garden to be stewards over everything. They were had control over the entire planet. But then what happens? They disobeyed, and they surrendered that stewardship to who? Into the hands of satan didn't give it back to god surrendered the stewardship into the hands of satan god's arch enemy from that day on this world has been the domain of the devil the domain of satan now it's still god's world because he created it but satan has usurped that authority over creation And he developed a counter-kingdom to God's kingdom. And from that day until this day, this earth has been like the central battlefield between these two kingdoms, God's kingdom and the kingdom of Satan. But you know that's not the whole story. Once the world fell into the enemy's hands, God says, I'm going to win it back. So he sends his message to the, the prophets and the kings and the priests and the poets. He raised up an entire nation to be his own, and he was going to bless the whole earth through this kingdom, but ultimately it meant that he had to do something more. He had to get involved in the battle, and what does he do? In order to reclaim this world from Satan, he enters the human race in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, that story is very familiar, but maybe you've never thought about Jesus coming into this world as being the last battle against satan and guess what even in that last battle it seemed like for a little while about 36 hours that satan had actually won because jesus was dead jesus was in the grave but you remember it always seems like friday but sunday's on the way and what happens on sunday morning You've got an empty tomb. You've got a risen Savior. Suddenly, it's clear to every last person, including the devil, that Jesus was the victor. But since that first Sunday, Satan has been like a squatter living here on planet Earth. I mean, Jesus reclaimed, claimed the true deed, but Satan has refused to get out of here. I don't know if you ever ever think much about Satan. Do you know that about half the Christian population doesn't even believe there is a devil? He must just be happy as a clam at high tide to know that. You're no problem to him whatsoever if you don't believe in him. Let me tell you something about the devil. Number one, he refuses to acknowledge that he's defeated. Number two, he refuses to surrender this earth. Number three, he has man's consent to be in control. And four, he hopes to make his possession of the earth permanent. See, this world is still in darkness. But if you think about this dark world, it's like every here and there, followers of Jesus have established these little outposts, these little kingdoms, these little pinpoints of light of a promise of better things to come. And meanwhile, the battle rages on. You've got two kingdoms out there. You've got King Jesus on one hand, and you've got the evil, wicked, bad, and nasty devil over on the other side. Now, in these last twenty year, 20 centuries, these little pinpoints of light in the kingdom of God have spread around so that today there are tens of thousands little pinpoints of light that are chasing away the darkness in different places in this world. But in other places, this world looks darker than even ever before. But over and over again, there are people praying every Sunday morning, your kingdom come. Come, Lord, bring your kingdom. And as they do, they wait for Jesus to come back personally to take his children home. That's why the kingdom of God is so important. That's why those three little words are so important in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. That's the central petition of this entire prayer. You're praying that God's whole program of history, from creation, be brought to an end. Here's the last thing. The kingdom of God is the only possible explanation why some people live the way they do. Quite I'll put it personally. The kingdom of god is the only way you can explain me i don't know how you can explain me the other way apart from the kingdom of god you see there are men and women around us who although they seem perfectly normal as the world counts normal in some ways behave very differently and i submit to you that if you examine your life the one great factor that makes a difference is that you've been gripped with this concept of what the kingdom of God is all about. Maybe you're one of these people who actually decided to seek first the kingdom of God. Now, should that surprise us? No. Jesus said there are going to be people who choose to live that way. He says, I tell you the truth, no one has ever left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus was saying being a kingdom person changes the values of life. It leads to very unusual and otherwise unexplainable behavior. You're leaving a life that seems to make sense from the world's point of view to a life that's governed by eternal realities. That's why reality shows are so stupid. I hate to rain on your parade if you love those things, but that's why reality shows are so stupid. It's not reality. It's the world's reality which makes it even more stupid. The real reality is God's kingdom. I mean, people do things because of the kingdom of God that they would not do otherwise. In some cases, they'll, they'll decide to set aside a life of ease and comfort. They don't care what money they make. I mean, some people will set aside some of the closest human relationships. Some people will give up promising careers. I think of one one young man that I I met who was an accountant for Ernst & Young, one of the big five accounting firms in the country. Nancy, both of you know him. His name was Greg. And after we talked for a while, I baptized this young Jew who quit his job at Ernst & Young to be a street evangelist for Jews for Jesus. How do you explain that? Other than that, the kingdom of God got a hold of him. Still other people will spend their money in a way that makes absolutely no earthly sense at all. When you sign up for Christ's kingdom, I don't know whether Presley understands this yet. He'll understand it someday if you teach her this. But when she signed up to be a part of God's kingdom, she literally parachuted into a war zone. When you sign up for the kingdom of God, you parachute into a war zone. I'm gonna take this even a step further. Some of you know this passage. Jesus laid out a very stark challenge. Luke chapter 14, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And some people go, oh man, that's bad stuff. It is. Now you can hunt up the word hate in the Greek And guess what? It'll tell you that the word hate means hate. But it doesn't really refer to personal animosity. Being faithful to Jesus, being faithful to his calling, means that sometimes you will do things that will make other people, other loved ones, feel as if you hate them. Now, you don't hate them at all. But your obedience to God may cause them to think that you hate them. That's the price we pay sometimes for being kingdom people. Now, I'm not saying that to be a kingdom person, you've got to go on the foreign mission field. But I think you will become fundamentally different than a lot of the other people who are around you. And the choices you make will continually be misunderstood by other people who have no idea what it means to be a kingdom person. I want you to consider this. Every time you pray, you need to pray two things. Either you pray, my kingdom come, or you pray, thy kingdom come. There's only two choices. But when you pray, your kingdom come, or if you say to God, God, your kingdom come, at the same time you need to learn to say, and my kingdom go. God's kingdom cannot come until your kingdom goes. They don't exist. Those who pray your kingdom come will never be sorry. I want to end up very quickly. Four ways to pray this. Here's number one. Pray this prayer in your own life. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child, we had baptism this morning, will never enter. It. You enter the kingdom of God by having a simple faith of a little child. You enter it by asking Jesus to be king of your life. I won't ask you to raise your hand, I'm not gonna ask you to walk the aisle, none of that stuff, but I, I will ask you this, you can think about this, you respond your own way. Are you in the kingdom of God? If the answer is yes, then maybe you ought to be praying prayers every day. Lord Jesus, may your kingdom come in my life every day, may your values dominate my thinking, my decision making, may your cause in this world be advanced by the things I say and do. Help me to do your will all day long. Now that's not some sort of a magic prayer. But properly understood, it's a pretty revolutionary way to pray. God wants you to be a kingdom person. Pray for it. Pray that God's kingdom be in your life. Number two, pray for your family. That means praying for your spouse, that the kingdom of God comes in her life or his life. Pray that the kingdom of God be in the life of your children. Pray that the kingdom of God be in the life of your extended family. Pray for your kids and your grandkids and even pray for those people that your kids and grandkids may marry someday that the kingdom of God will be there. Pray for your church. Let's be real. Pray for this church. Pray for First Lutheran Church. That we become an attractive community of kingdom people. That we be an honest-to-goodness outpost of light in the dark world. And lastly, pray in the world. Now, it's true that the kingdom will never come until the king returns to the earth, yet the kingdom of God comes spiritually to people all over this world. We need to pray that God enter the hearts of the people of this world in a big way. It's been a long time since there's ever been a spiritual revival in the United States. You know where revival takes place today? Africa, Asia even parts of England. We are the third largest non-Christian nation in the world. China, India, United States. There's only one country in the entire world that receives more foreign missionaries than the United States. That's the country of Brazil. We are number two in receiving foreign missionaries. They're sending missionaries to our country. Why? Because they know we are not what we claim to be to be a Christian nation. It's a dark place. We need to pray for this world. And while you're at it, why not pray for the kingdom to come in your community, your state, your nation, throughout the world? Hopefully you understand that praying your kingdom come is not a passive prayer. It's not a placebo for somebody who wants to just stand by and watch the parade go by. This is a prayer for somebody who wants to really get into the action. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Satan will not have the last word. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly and establish your visible kingdom on earth. Between now and then, help us to live as kingdom people whose values are not of this world. And may we not grow accustomed to second-best living when you have called us to higher ground. Grant us wisdom to be citizens of heaven while we live here as pilgrims on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.